Hello, everybody. This is Cedric Joseph with High Octane Solutions and High Octane Media and Entertainment with another installment of Business in the Spotlight for you guys. I have with me today Mr. Jim McElhaney. Did I get that right? I don't want to mess it up. I don't want to chop it up any more than I already have. Um, and Jim is with us today. He's with FranNet. And now I'm going to let him explain to you guys what FranNet is. I think it's a really interesting company, and I think he does a lot of work there that could be useful to you guys um, and everyone who, who's ever thought about franchising your business or anything like that. So we're going to jump right into it and let Jim, I'm not going to try that last name again, uh, go ahead and explain <laughs> what it is he does and, and how, uh, how that works for you guys. So Jim, please take it away. Well, thanks. And Cedric, thanks for uh, having me on. And hello to everybody. Um, yep, I'm Jim McElhinney. I'm with a consulting practice here in the U.S. called FranNet. And uh, we're sometimes we're a little bit of a best kept secret. Um, what we do is we actually help educate and match individuals to potential franchise concepts as their way into business ownership. I kiddingly say sometimes we're like eHarmony for business, but with a better outcome. Um, so what we do really is we've been doing this for over 35 years where we know franchising really well. We know the industries that um, franchising spans across. And really we work with candidates who maybe they're thinking about leaving the corporate world or they're thinking about an additional income stream and they're thinking about franchising as their pathway into business ownership. And that's really where we come in. We know franchises well. We get to know our candidates and we help them to get connected to the right ones that will meet their goals. Awesome. So let's let's jump into it a little bit. So in a nutshell, can you just explain, you know, what is franchising? Yeah, that's a good question. So franchising, I mean, in simplest terms, I think of it as being a distribution system, right? So you have two parties. You have the franchisor and the franchisee. Now, the franchisor, they're the one who started the business to begin with, right? They proved a concept. Maybe they went out and had some corporate locations of their own, but now they're thinking about how they're going to expand across maybe the United States. So this is where franchisees come into place. So a franchisor will look for franchisees to be that local operator to take that product or that service and bring it to a local community. Hmm. You know, a lot of times people think about food when they think about franchising. Um, but actually franchising goes across probably 85, almost 90 different industry segments. So there's a lot out there to learn in franchising. So there's a lot there. So it's not just the regular, you know, uh, burger chain or the regular chicken chain that you see everywhere. Okay. A lot of people, uh, there's, there's a lot more than just food out there for sure. In fact, a a lot of industries uh, these days beyond food that people are looking at because of where we're at in the economic cycle for sure. Yeah. So why would someone why would someone get into a franchise and not build their own brand, you know, work to build their own thing? Why, why would franchising be more desirable? than that? Yeah, Again, another good question. Um, so let's let's think about business ownership in the context of pathways to owning a business. Right. Um, business ownership can be risky. You know, someone who comes up with their own bright idea. Um, starting from scratch, uh, trying to build up a business that that carries risk. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know that's I guess the 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 contra or the consideration um, you know for uh, a contrast to what we see in franchising. So in fact, that starting from scratch business model, the Small Business Administration, the SBA, actually has shown a statistic that uh, within five years, 
um, more than half of the businesses that have been created on their own will fail. And that's a sobering statistic for people who've put so much sweat equity and money into a business. Mm -hmm. Now you contrast that with franchising. What does franchising bring that starting from scratch on your own doesn't have? Well, we've talked about some of it, proven concept, documented systems, systems around business operations, marketing, sales, training, financial, right? So you're getting a pathway into business that has actually already been proven out. And in fact, the SBA statistic on franchising is that in five years, 92% of those franchise locations will still be operating. So you can really see that the trade-off here is really about risk and reward mm -hmm. and I time to market and success. Hmm. So, okay. So the, the average person that franchises, I don't know, what, what are we talking on a net worth of a million dollars, $2 million? What do we, what do you have to have? a lot in the tank to actually franchise and or, or what what's the what do you need to franchise yeah yeah so that's actually probably one of the most um, common myths that i hear from candidates who first come to me to talk about franchising they all think they have to be millionaires um in the universe we we introduce uh at FranNet, we introduce and know almost 300 different franchise concepts that we can connect our clients to um when i think about those uh half of them actually have a total investment cost of $250,000 or less. And in fact, I have franchises that I introduced to that are five figures, right? They're less than $100,000. So I think that myth about what you need to have um, is probably overstated. Um, I work with a lot more people who are within um, the reach of it that are not necessarily millionaires. Franchisors will guide me on what they're looking for in terms of a net worth or a liquidity of the candidates I bring them. And their interest in that is really to make sure that the the individual business owner can still sort of handle what I call rest of life expenses at the same time that they're starting up their business. But um, the other thing that's positive about franchising is that there are lenders out there who know the franchising world really well. And sometimes, uh, many times, uh, more than half, sometimes two thirds of the actual investment cost that I'm referencing can be supported through a third-party lender rather than it being the individual's own money as the business owner. Hmm. So when you say a third-party lender, are, are you talking about it? So when you say it like that, it makes me think that you're not specifically talking about a bank per se, but obviously banking is one of the ways you can get it. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Can you expand sure. on that a little bit? Yeah. yeah. I mean, certainly banks are a candidate in this, um, but but franchising has become pretty specialized. And in fact, the financing side of, of uh, franchising, um, I actually work with a number of partners. So this isn't a necessarily a specialty area of my own, but I'm able to introduce my candidates to partners who understand the franchising concept. They understand which lenders have an appetite for different um, franchise concepts. So I'll give you an example. Maybe it's the beginning of the year and there's a lender out there who really likes um, services business, you know, sort of that man or woman in a van kind of business. Um, but through the year, maybe they've been a lender providing funds to different franchise, new franchisees who've come into that market. What I really like about the know-how and the intelligence that we have within the franchising funding community is that they'll know if that lender has sort of topped out their exposure to that kind of business. And so they'll be able to help fast track someone to a very different type of 
uh, funding vehicle. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing that people don't realize is you can actually use your own um, retirement savings, actually tax-free and penalty-free. There's a whole market out there for converting retirement assets of your own into a funding vehicle to go into uh, franchises. Other people use unsecured lending. They use home equity lines. So, yes, it is beyond just straight up uh, going down the street to your community bank. Hmm. Okay. So so this this is more of a interest is not that i'm looking to franchise yeah. but um what is a typical franchisee franchisor franchisee <laughs> what's the typical person that's looking to buy into a franchise what does that person look like what are they what's their makeup you know that kind of stuff yeah so so it's the franchise it's the prospective franchisee we're talking about so um, the, the biggest attribute, I'd say, for a franchisee that franchisors are looking for is they're not looking for you to be an expert in their business. What they're looking for is they're looking for you to have the business acumen. Maybe it's the financial acumen, the leadership skills, the communication skills to be able to lead a team of people who are your employees or your contractors. And um, when they're Looking at this, um, the, the, they're, they're not necessarily looking for you to have come out of the business itself. So uh, a lot of the training and a lot of the support is really brought by the franchisor to help that new franchisee become the specialist or the, the, you know, the, the knowledgeable participant they need to be in that particular industry. Can you talk a little bit more about the support aspect that you just brought up? Um, do these franchises franchises come with, you know, training and 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 book learning and all these other yeah. things that are needed? Yeah, yeah. Good franchises certainly do, right? And and you know, there's there's, I said we work with almost three hundred concepts that we introduce to, but in the United States these days, there's north of four thousand franchise concepts, and you know, they're not all created equal. But I think when you really dig in and you understand them, um, and this is where I think the role of myself as a consultant can really be helpful, is connecting people to concepts that are going to have the right connections and the right resources for where that prospective franchisee is starting from. Training to me is an absolute baseline must have, right? Because I'm coming into this business as a new franchisee without the industry experience of understanding this industry, but knowing business, I'm going to be relying on that franchise order to not only help train me, but also perhaps train um, some of the folks that are going to be on my leadership team for that business. Maybe it's a sales manager that's going to be out making calls for me, or in some cases, it might be an installer that is out actually doing the work in a services business, right? So um, it's really important, I think, that the franchisor provides those sorts of those resources. And what I really like about franchising is that someone who's researching franchises together with a consultant will go through a process where they will get to see both in writing as well as through discussions, they will get to hear um, what are those resources that a franchisor is going to be bringing to the table for them. And they'll be committed in the franchise agreement as well. So this isn't just about making a promise and then hoping later that someone doesn't hold you to it. The actual franchise agreement will get very specific about what is expected both from the franchisor, but also conversely by the franchisee. Hmm. What do you what would you say are some of the pitfalls that franchisees should should look for before they commit 
to a, to a franchise or, or to a franchise agreement or something. Sure. Like that. sure. Well, I think the first thing is, you know, a, a lot of what you're probably getting from what we've been talking about is franchising is about embracing structured systems, right? There is a business model out there that is expected to be followed and the franchisor really wants to protect their brand, right? They don't want you drifting off the reservation and um, having a whole different concept underneath their brand name. So I'd say the first thing, not that it's a pitfall, but it is something that I study quite closely with my clients or my candidates early on when I get to know them is, are they someone who's going to follow systems? Because if they're not, maybe different pathways beside franchising is the right way for them to get into business. You know, other things, um, when I think about pitfalls, I, I think there's pros and cons to some things, right? So one of the ones I hear regularly is someone says, Oh, well, in franchising, I'm going to pay a royalty fee, an ongoing royalty to the franchisor. And for anyone who doesn't understand royalties, what it really means is you're paying a percentage of the revenues that you generate in your local market as a franchisee. You're paying a percentage, maybe five, six percent of your revenue back to the franchisor. Some people don't want to pay that because that's money out of their own pocket. The way I think about royalties is a good franchisor is spending part of that money to pay attention to the trends that are going on in your market, right? So as an individual business owner, I'm probably so busy every day that I can't necessarily be watching around the corner for what might be happening in terms of the changing preferences of my customer. Mm -hmm. right. franchisor will do that for me using some of the royalties that I'm paying to them to actually do market and product development so that they can see what's coming up down the road. Right. Okay. All right. So when a franchise, when a franchisee is looking for a location, when they're like, hey, you know, I think a great, you know, this would be a great place for a hardware store, or this would be a great place for a retail store or, or something of that nature. Is that something, is that also part of the franchise relationship or do they pick a location and then they go find a franchise? I mean, I'm sure there's some way to work all of that out. Yeah, yeah, there is, right? And okay. um, so so franchisors will have done their homework in, in doing what we call defining the territories that are available. So what a franchisor is really doing is they're relying on a, on a good amount of analytics and demographics that really help them zero in on which markets specifically that they think there's going to be high demand for their product or their service. They'll use third party information. They will then go out and uh, look for franchisees for a potential franchisee to take over that market. So I think the one of the things that I like about franchising is that someone new coming into it can count on good support from their franchisor and helping them really pinpoint where there are opportunities in their specific market. And what franchisors will also do is if you go further through the process and become their new franchisee in this territory, they'll have other resources oftentimes to help you specifically find the location if it's a physical business, right? So picking out the right real estate and the right traffic patterns and where you want to be in a specific community, franchisors bring a lot of support on that as well. So they get really involved in in the, the the specifics of what this franchisee is is looking for. There's there's already a a platform in place, so to speak. It's not just you're buying a franchise. You're actually buying a real estate investment company. You're buying a you know a, a, a company that does construction if necessary and all these other things. Absolutely. Okay. 
Yep. Okay. And the other thing, the other thing to think about there is, um, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, a franchisor wants you to be successful, right? So all this pre-work we're talking about is really so that they're helping connect this new franchisee to a very viable territory, someplace where they can be successful in growing the business. And if it's a business that doesn't involve brick and mortar physical locations, franchisees are very transparent about the, um, I guess, the, the, the statistics or the specifics. So an example might be that they might say it's so many residential households or it might be so many specific zip codes, or if it's a business that supports other businesses, it might be how many businesses are in the community. So franchisors support franchisees both when there's a physical location need, as well as when it's a business that's going to uh, maybe operate from your home or operate mobily. Hmm. Okay, okay. Well, as a, franchise, if it's, as a franchisee, how would I protect myself, you know, um, I'm interested, mm -hmm. but things are things are starting to maybe fall apart. Yeah. You know, how do how do I protect myself as a as a franchise as a franchisee? Yeah, well, I would say, I mean, you know, franchisors in general are 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 really going to do everything they can uh, to help support uh, franchisees and help them be successful. And you know, s developments happen along the way sometimes. But my own experience is that franchisors they they're they're in it to to make their their franchisees successful. Now, having said that, um, when you back up to the research and the due diligence process that goes on before someone decides to make a franchise investment as a new franchisee, there is an incredible amount of transparency and documentation that a new prospective franchisee will receive from the franchisor. One of the best things I think about franchising is that it is regulated in the United States by the Federal Trade Commission. And the Federal Trade Commission has a very specific and exhaustive list of requirements for disclosure that they require franchisors to provide to a franchisee. So everything from details, for example, on the leadership team, their experience at the franchisor, uh, whether there's been bankruptcies, litigations, um, they will show you um, evidence of the economic potential for your return on investment. It's not a promise, but they will show you what um, historical track records in that in that franchise have been for owners. They will um, uh, show you all the obligations or detail out the obligations they have to you as the franchisor and conversely, the obligations you have to them as the franchisee. So that's, um, I guess, safeguard number one to avoid uh, the downside and the spiraling that you know you're describing that might happen down the road. The other thing I like about the research and due diligence process, and franchisors encourage this just as much as we consultants do, is that in addition to what you'll read in print in that franchise disclosure document I was just describing, you will be introduced to both current and past franchise operators in that system. Mm. Why that's important is it gives the new franchisee or the prospective franchisee the potential to triangulate and confirm that what they're hearing from the franchisor is consistent with the experience of other franchisees. So, you know, no business is foolproof, but I really like a lot of the transparency and the safeguards that franchising provides and requires up front to really avoid the downside risks that you're describing. So is that last part something that's that's common in the industry where they they 
they give you an opportunity to meet with current and past franchisees, or is that something that FranNet excels in doing? Well, um, so it's in in our industry, it's referred to the term is called validation, right? So you'll be able to validate what you're hearing by talking to other owners, and and the franchisor, I should add, typically will not be on those validation calls. So they really want you to have an independent, free speaking conversation between you and the franchisees that are in the system. Um, the franchise disclosure document also gives you the details of every single franchisee that is currently in that system. So what we at FranNet encourage our clients to do is not only think about talking to some of the franchisees that have been provided or supplied by the franchisor, but look at that franchise disclosure document and you know try, maybe it's through LinkedIn or some other ways, to connect with one or two others who haven't been um, suggested by the franchisor just to get another truly independent view from someone who's in the system but wasn't necessarily served up like a reference. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. So, so you said that's something that you guys at FranNet try to encourage them to do. Talk a little bit more about how how involved FranNet is in building this relationship and how do you guys take a person by the hand and walk them step by step. I mean, yeah. how involved is FranNet in, in creating these relationships? Well, I mean, this is what we do, right? And and I, I see us as having two, really having two clients, right? One is the prospective franchisee, the individual that's come to us and said, I'm thinking about business ownership. Can you help me? Or can you help educate me about franchising? The other is the franchisor. Um, and we're pretty picky about the franchisors we work with. When I say we only work with less than 300, remember that denominator is over 4,000, maybe even close to 5,000. So um, what I really like about that is we have a whole research team in our home office who not only qualifies franchisors at the front end as being the right kind of operation that we want to introduce to, but we also go back and do our own checks and auditing from time to time to make sure that they're still qualified to remain in our inventory, as we call it, or our portfolio. On the um, client side, the prospective franchisee, oftentimes someone comes to me and they say, Jim, I know I want to own a business, but I don't know what that business is going to look like. And so that's really where we come in. We have some uh, proprietary tools that we use to get underneath that individual's values, their motives. Um, what's their transferable skill sets. And we really start there. And that starts a conversation where we get to know them further to the point where we can start to introduce or match them to potential concepts that we think could achieve most, if not all of their goals. Now, after we make that introduction, we stay involved with the candidate along the way. Um, we become sort of their third party. I check in with every one of my clients at least once a week. We have a set meeting. And we talk about what they're learning through the process when they're going through franchise or validation and franchise disclosure uh, document review. And ultimately, you know, we get to a point where a uh, prospective candidate goes to what's called a discovery day, meaning they will go on site to the franchisor and really start to meet that management team and really understand a bit more. This is usually the point where someone is sort of making that go, no go decision. So it's very late in the process, but we are there with them, prepping them for what that discovery day experience is going to be like. And if they do decide that they want to go into business and they're going to sign that franchise agreement, they love the discovery day. The next thing they oftentimes ask of us at FranNet is, I need an attorney to review the document. 
or I need a payroll provider, or I need an accountant to help run my books. And we have all those resources, you know, and those are just a few examples. But typically, you know, I work a lot with clients all over the country. Um, and these days, I can introduce to advisors like the ones I'm describing, who could either be local, or be somewhere else across the country to really help provide the support and the surround sound that my new franchisee owners are going to require. So we stay with them all the way through. You know, I love going to ribbon cuttings or kickoff days when my clients start a, a new business somewhere. It's great fun to see, you know, the potential of them achieving their dream. Do you keep those on your wall, the wall of fame type of thing, you know, where you, yeah, we you do. We, all, yeah. yeah, we, we, we're pretty good at celebrating this within FranNet, but also, um, you know, myself, I mean, you know, this is a business where we're sometimes helping people get into business that never thought they could themselves. We're helping people create the potential for intergenerational wealth in their family. Yeah. And it's just, it's great work. I love it. How long does it usually take? What's the typical time frame it takes to, to, from start to finish to, you know, till you get the keys to the door kind of thing. What's the, what's <laughs> yeah. the typical time? Well, I, would say, I would say that, you know, we've been talking a lot about the research process. I would say the typical research process runs 90 days. It can be faster. It can be slower. But I would say 90 days is the typical average from the first time I meet someone to when they're making that go, no go decision. And I should add, candidates can opt out at any time along the way. And we don't we don't take it. We don't take offense to that. If the right answer for someone is, you know, they learn more and they realize business ownership isn't for them or franchising isn't for them. We're OK with that. But if someone does follow the process all the way through, I would say average 90 days. Now, that's to signing. Then the next question I think you're asking is how long till they're opening the business? And I think that that actually depends on what kind of business it is. Right? So if it's a services business where there isn't the, a requirement for a physical location, um, let's use the example of a landscaping business, right? Mm -hmm. You got to go out and get your trucks and get your equipment. But someone can be in that business 30, 60 days after they've signed their agreement. If it involves real estate, let's say it's a retail location. Um, the next step after signing the agreement is to start to do commercial real estate um, research. It's then to sign a letter of intent with a landlord in a place that you like. It's then working out the lease negotiation. It's then working on the build out. So, you know, these days, those, those, that timeline isn't always in the control of my new franchisee. But I would say, you know, if it's a new build space, it's not uncommon to see them cutting the ribbon outside their door maybe a year after they've signed the franchise agreement. So you've really got to be committed to this, you know, if if it's something you really want to do because you're you're putting yeah. maybe a year of your time or more, who knows, yeah. you know, yeah. into making this happen. Yeah, yeah. And one of the things we I mean you you're absolutely right Cedric, it's um, you know, understanding that timeline is part of what we need to do with our candidates. It, it sometimes also has implications for when they might step away from whatever has been their legacy career, right? Because that example I just used of, of building out a new retail space, well, it could be that the first six to nine months in that process after signing um, the franchise agreement is actually work that you can do alongside still keeping your nine to five job. So mm -hmm. it's helping people to think about when the right time is for them to step away from whatever they were doing so that they can concentrate and be successful at getting their business off the ground. Well, 
Well, Jim, this is really exciting stuff, and I, I, I think I've learned a lot. Can you tell the people? I know they can see it scrolling across the bottom, but can you tell the people how to find you and, and you know, what what is it something sure. you want to tell them? Yeah, sure. So um, first off, thank you for your curiosity and your interest in this, and thanks for giving me the opportunity. You see my contact info. Um, I, I'm one of 80 professionals in FranNet that do this kind of work all over the U.S. and Canada. So um, I would love to work with anyone who is more interested in learning about this business. But equally, if you're in another part of the country and uh, uh, you want to work with someone within FranNet to learn more, we have local resources wherever you live. And I, I am speaking today on behalf of all of my 80 colleagues in terms of the kind of work that we do. So um, use us as local resources wherever you're from. And you can find us by looking at FranNet.com as our website. The other thing that I'd mention is, is franchising is an incredibly supportive community, whether that's the franchisors, fellow franchisees, vendors, and I'm talking now big picture, right? So if you're curious to learn more, go to www.franchising.com because that's going to be the International Franchise Association, their website. It's a great um, resource for you to uh, both see what I'm talking about in terms of the support as well as um, just learning more. And by the way, it's actually franchise.org, not .com. I misspoke. Thank you. Well, guys, this has been a, another edition of uh, Business in the Spotlight. And I hope you find this uh, as rewarding as I do bringing this to you. If you've got any questions or comments, you know how to find us in the socials or, or is, drop us an email or anything, and uh, we'll get back to you as soon as we possibly can. Uh, keep a lookout for our next edition. Um, again, we don't know what it is yet, but you'll know when we know. So when we figure that out, you will find that out. And I hope this is something that, that brings you guys a lot of information and a lot of success in, in your business. And you guys take care of yourselves. All right. Good luck. <laughs>